0: Welcome to episode 26 of Around the Keg, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. And speaking of cold beer, I'm going to need a lot of it this upcoming football season because Julio Jones is no longer an Atlanta Falcon.
1: Man, what a sad day. Number 11, no longer in the ATL. It's going to be weird, man. It's going to be really weird to not see Julio highlights in 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 Mercedes Benz um, and, and, and in the Titans jersey. Of which that nasty wide receiver core there that the Titans have, but man, somber day for Atlanta Falcons fans.
0: I mean, as a guy who grew up going to Falcons games back when they were at the Georgia Dome and watching guys like Michael Vick and Algie Crumpler and Warwick Dunn, like some of those guys that some of the older Falcons. Really weird to see the Falcons go from where they were in the Super Bowl in 2016 to where they are now. I mean, they honestly just seem like a team that should just start over, start rebuilding. Uh, just start to figure out something new. But you know, I mean we still got we still got Calvin Ridley. Falcons still got Matt Ryan. Decided not to trade him this offseason. Um picked up Kyle Pitts who I'm assuming they think is gonna replace two Leo Jones. But uh you know, not a not a happy camper when your favorite team trades probably the best receiver in all of the NFL for a second round pick. Well,
2: there's just not no, many I, pieces left in, in Atlanta. You got like hardly any running backs anymore. Everybody's just kinda gone. It's time to rebuild.
1: It's just kind of sad, though, because I feel like the offense has had the talent the past couple of years to still make a deep playoff run. They just haven't had the defense to back it up. And that's got to be really frustrating if you're Julio Jones. Like, obviously, he kind of wanted to get out. Um, You know, obviously, there was some there were some problems with the relationship with the new GM. I don't think he really was a big fan of Dimitrov. I mean, he liked him enough because he paid him an ungodly amount of money, but. Anytime time that a franchise has a player like Julio Jones, you know, it's kind of like Chipper with the Braves. Like you kind of want to see him stay there for their whole career, retire with the franchise and, uh, you know, go into the ring of honor, have their number retired, whatever the, it is that the Falcons do. Um, and you, you wanted to see that with Julio because, you know, he, like Witt said, I mean, he's, he's probably still the best receiver in the NFL overall. And he has been really, since he came in the league, like, he started off as a rookie, just balling out. And, and he gave Matt Ryan that, that target that that allowed him to be the elite quarterback for winning a, a an MVP, uh, that Shanahan offense. So, I mean, you know, props to Julio and thanks for everything that he did for the city of Atlanta. I know I'm not a massive Falcons fan, but, you know, as someone who got to watch him for three years in college and then experience him playing in, in Atlanta, it's still still a sad day for, for me because... You know, I do pull for the Falcons, and I wish them the best. So, I hate to see that guy go.
0: Yeah, and you know, the like we saw Calvin Ridley, who last year, if you look at the games that Julio Jones did not play in, Calvin averaged over 100 yards a game and at least 12 receptions a game too, which is honestly unreal. And like, I think he's really going to break out this coming year. I think it's going to hurt not having Julio there to like take up a lot of the double teams and take up that top receiver or top cornerback for every team, but. Um, I mean, I I think Calvin Ridley is a top 15 to 20 receiver in the league, and I I think he could probably expand upon that. He's got the tools to do it. Um, it, My biggest thing for the Falcons is we didn't really do much to improve the defense this offseason. It seemed like we were kind of going for, like, this Chiefs, like, all offense kind of thing. I mean, we added a couple pieces in the draft here and there, but besides that, I mean, I don't see us improving at all. And then the receiving core, I mean, having Julio Jones – with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst, who I think is going to, I think he's pretty decent. That made it pretty solid. I mean, I thought we had a pretty good passing game going there. Taking away Julio from that and having guys like Russell Gage and who knows who backing up Calvin Ridley, it's just not, it's not a good receiving core. And honestly, kind of hurts the Falcons to have have him leaving after the draft, after all the top free agent receivers have already signed with other teams. Um, it's just not much he can build upon now. It kind of honestly feels like a lost year.
1: And then you only get a second round pick for Julio Jones. Like, I think that that's that's the, the part of this that's so awful is that essentially what you got for Muhammad Sanu as the Falcons, you also get for Julio Jones. And I know they were unloading a lot of that money from the contract on the team that got him. Which became the Titans, but still like you are talking about a generational receiver in Julio, and that to me is like that that's the part where it, its second like render is just it, I feel like it's kind of unacceptable
2: and I just I don't know if I see this being a situation like the Browns either where you um you had your your receiver out of the picture with uh Odell Beckham and then you kind of spread the wealth against your your other receivers I just I don't know that Atlanta has enough key pieces. To to be able to do that, to where it's like, oh, now we've got, you know, we're not focusing on trying to get Julio Jones the ball so much now. Maybe it'll end up spreading the wealth a little bit. But the really the only pro that I see from the whole the whole thing was offloading the cap. Uh, we did get what the the twenty twenty two second round pick and then a fourth round pick for the future. That's just and gave
0: up and gave up a sixth round pick
2: <laughs> and and gave up a sixth round pick.
0: So it's really just not a very it, it's a money trade, is what it was. It honestly was. And I mean, share the wealth, Matt Ryan throughout his career. I mean, it's been it's been known that he's he's good at sharing the wealth. That being said, I mean, to me, I don't think we've ever really focused on getting Julio the ball the way that we probably should have. I mean, I've I've talked about this before with the group. Um, And I mean, you could look at guys like DeAndre Hopkins, OBJ um, in Cleveland before he got hurt last year. Like those guys were the main focal points and Julio is too. But I mean, if you watch the way after Kyle Shanahan left the way that the offense was called, it looked like Julio Jones was just like another receiver on the team. And I mean, co- he was constantly double teamed. So I understand like, he's not going to get the ball much. Um, you're going to have to find other weapons to get it to. But I mean, when you have a guy like him, even if he's double teamed, the like the amount of times we threw, we threw him the ball in the end zone is appalling. I mean, you saw like he struggled to have, get touchdowns throughout his career and, um, Even though he's going to finish second all time on the Falcons behind Roddy White, he's still, I mean, everybody knows, like, he really struggled to get touchdowns. So the the fact that you have a guy like that and, and you had those kind of struggles just shows you how underutilized he was as a Falcon.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and I think A.J. Brown being opposite of him is going to be absolutely nasty because A.J. Brown had a really good breakout year last year, I felt like, where he kind of put himself in the conversation of number one receivers in the AFC uh not being the number one overall in the AOC, but like teams that have a legit number one guy and he really threw his name into that ring and embraced it. He did an awesome job. So you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna be a pick your poison type of thing with, with AJ Brown and, and Julio Jones in Tennessee.
0: Well not to mention the fact that Tennessee has one of the best run games in the NFL. I mean when you have a guy like Derrick Henry who ran for over two thousand yards last year that's going to open up the backfield. So he's going to have a lot more chances to get behind the defense. Um, And I think he's going to have a lot more success in Tennessee. Uh, A lot of people are kind of worried about his injury issues. He's been hurt uh, for a large part of the season for the past two years. Um, But honestly, I think the only reason that he sat out for so much of that was because, number one, of the fact that he was kind of having those relationship strains behind the scenes that nobody really knew about. We kind of heard some rumors here and there, but no one was really sure about it. And number two, we were just bad. Like we we weren't gonna make a playoff run. He is, like we've said, a generational player. During the Super Bowl year, he was hurt too, but he played through the injuries and was still probably the best receiver in the league that year. So, I mean, I think I don't think that's gonna be a problem for the Titans unless you see what we saw with the Falcons the past couple years, which is just underachievement, which is honestly what I've come to expect from the Falcons.
1: And and I think a lot of that's gonna fall on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders now because it, you know, it, yes, sure, Julio is going to help you get, a, help you get open if you're AJ Brown, but, you know, is, is Tannehill going to be good enough to get them the ball consistently downfield?
0: Yeah. And honestly, I think he will. I mean, he's, he's a big armed quarterback, even though last, like the past couple of years with the Titans, they're, they're not really a deep ball throwing team. They're more of just to throw the ball around a little bit and run the ball. But adding a guy like Julio and opening up the offense more for AJ Brown, too, um, I think we're going to see, that offense be a lot more dynamic. Um but it'll be interesting to see what they do without Arthur Smith, which is honestly kind of funny how Arthur Smith went from being the OC of the Titans to the Falcons, and then he loses his best weapon to the team he left, which is a unfortunately ironic for us Falcons fans. But, but um, it definitely be interesting to see. I heard um, on a podcast earlier earlier today, actually, they were talking about the best trios, quarterback, wide receiver, running back trios in the league. And honestly, to me, and they said they said they think the Titans now have it, and honestly, I think they do. Um, I don't really know who would rival them.
1: No, I mean, that that's a – I'd have to sit here and think for a minute just about, like, you know, teams that have great running backs and great receivers. The only position I feel like could be upgraded there is Ryan Tannehill because, oh, yeah. like, he, he – you know, for, for them, I mean, when you add Julio Jones, obviously your wide receiver room is now probably one of – Probably the best in the NFL. Uh, you've got a guy who's gone 2,000 yards last year as a running back, and then you add, you, you know, Ryan Tannehill is Ryan Tannehill. Like he, he's taken on that role as the quote unquote game manager for for the Titans the past two years. Uh, that's a title they like to throw around around with Alabama quarterbacks.
0: See, I think this year will be a little bit different. Like I was saying, having Julio there to kind of stretch the defense more. He's got the arm strength to do it. I mean, I, you, you've you you seen him be able to throw the ball downfield. Um, I think they just kind of lacked options for that. I mean, A.J. Brown's a good deep threat too, but like like we've said before, A.J. Brown was really their only threat. I mean, Corey Davis was okay, and Johnny Smith was a good tight end, but it's hard when you really only have one guy to throw the ball to. Now that they have more than one guy, I think it'll it'll change a lot. Ryan Tano, I think, is going to have a really good year.
1: On the opposite side of sadness in Atlanta is happiness. Yes. Because the Atlanta Hawks take a series from the New York Knicks and now took game one from the Philadelphia 76ers. And Trey Young has been absolutely special to watch.
0: Oh, yeah, it has been absolutely amazing. Um, I have not been watching the NBA playoffs for the past couple of years. And honestly, the only reason I got back into it is because the Hawks made the playoffs. But it's been awesome. I mean, the Hawks have played fantastic. I think they've looked, and I've actually watched more than just Hawks games. I think they've looked like one of the better teams in the NBA. And I hate saying that because I'm an Atlanta sports fan. And if you ever say anything good about Atlanta sports, um, the demons come to get you. But the they've looked good. I mean, Trey Young, I think, has finally started to get the recognition that I thought he's deserved since his rookie year. Um, he's had a lot of comparisons with Luka. Everybody, a lot of people like to say that Luka was better than him and how the and the Hawks made a big mistake making that trade. And I mean, look at it. Now the Mavs lost their first round and the Hawks won. And I, yeah, I'd they're say, out. I'd say, I mean, the Hawks probably have a better, better, uh, cast of players for Trey, but I wouldn't say it's like way, way better than, I mean, the Mavs have some good players. I mean, a lot of them are guys that I really didn't know the names of before going into the playoffs, just cause I haven't been paying as much attention as I used to, but I mean, they still had some really good guys, and they actually they had a better record than the Hawks going into the playoffs. So, um, I think Trey deserves a lot of credit for what's going on right now.
2: I've always been a huge fan of sports teams that are more the the underdog, the scrappy teams. You know, you don't have the big stars, but you got a good group of guys that can come together t- to win games. I think the Hawks are a really fun team to watch. They're really exciting. There's a lot of hate coming at them from all the different cities and uh they're really taking it well they're they're dishing it back out you know got uh all all the uh the showing the crowd and all that it's it's hilarious and it's fun to watch and i i really hope the team continues to do well cuz it's just a blast to finally watch the atlanta hawks be good at basketball
1: yeah and and it's it's really cool to see because they were really struggling early on this year and it was like man is is it really is, is the team really this not untalented and then they fire Lloyd Pierce. And then as soon as he's gone, Nick McMillan turns the Hawks into this you know, playoff caliber team. And honestly, like I'm with Witt. I hate to say things that are that positive about the Hawks, but they really remind me of the Heat last year in the bubble where they just got hot at the right time and they made some serious noise in the playoffs. Now obviously superstar wise, the Sixers have Joel Embiid. They have uh, ben Simmons. Uh, they've got some dudes that can play around them and and this is a tough series for the for the Hawks. But if you had to ask me right now, I mean, who's which team's playing better? The the Hawks. The Hawks absolutely should should be feeling pretty good about where they're at right now. And uh, you know, potentially vying to get into a Eastern Conference Finals against the Brooklyn Nets, which would be insane to say that the Hawks went from being I, I want to say that they were the, near the bottom of the league in the in record like a third of the way through the season. And then they just turned the switch. Uh, so really cool to see that. I also am not like an avid NBA fan, um, as you can imagine, since I cut them off so much. But like, you know, from watching the Hawks little bits and pieces here recently of the playoffs, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where they're going as a franchise. I think that they've got a, a bright future ahead as long as they can keep Trey Young in Atlanta.
2: Oh yeah. I think you have to have that exciting player uh, to to really build it around. I don't think like they tried it with Dwight Howard and uh, he was kind of on the end of his, his run there. This bringing in a star isn't really going to fix Atlanta. I don't think, dare I say LeBron couldn't even fix Atlanta,
1: but I really would not want LeBron in Atlanta because I think the really cool thing about the Hawks right now is that they are the underdogs, like you said. And, for the first time, like most times when you see Atlanta sports teams, everybody is like waiting for the collapse. And this year's Hawks team is the opposite. They kind of bounce back from being bad. And then you got Trey just being like, "Hey, it's quiet as in here. Like he's shushing everybody. It's quiet. as f-ing. Like the ice cold stuff, the Instagram stuff he's putting up. Like I love that about him, man. It's it, it's all it's awesome to see Atlanta take on the. All right, so you want you want to hate on us? You want us to lose? Well guess what? We ain't going away. We're not we're not we're not we're not soft.
0: Yeah, I've been digging the villain vibe uh from the playoffs this year too. I don't think I've really ever been a fan of an Atlanta sports team that was so like hated amongst like I mean, it's getting a lot of love from the media, I will say. Like people aren't like hating on the Hawks. I mean some people have been hating on Trey Young, like the New York mayor and some other people saying that he takes too many fouls, but I just love the like finally silencing the haters and Trey especially, like I said as somebody who I think he has not gotten the recognition he's deserved since he got drafted and people just like to disrespect him. and It's really cool to see him kind of silence those guys for sure.
1: Moving from NBA playoffs to my favorite formatted playoffs uh, is college baseball. The regionals this weekend uh, were awesome. Uh, You had Florida lose two straight uh, teams that were like, you know, not expected to go as far as they were. Uh, You've got teams like Dallas Baptist, who last night were recording this on the day that they're playing in their uh, championship game in the regional. But uh, they were at TCU's regional. TCU's gone. TCU is a national seed. So uh, Dallas Baptist, who I was really high on, they're playing really well. Oregon State, always the problem. They were in the championship game against them. So Fandy, really good. Aside from Florida, the SEC had some great showings uh, in in the tournament. Have have y'all watched any of it?
0: Not a single bit. I have. I've watched it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, y'all, y'all are missing out. And I know that y'all hear me talk about this all the time, but what's going on in college baseball right now is really cool. you are starting to see a lot of uh, fan bases really bring a lot of energy into into these games. So, like Ole Miss, they do the beer showers in right field. The entire student section does the beer showers. And uh, Tim Elko hits a, hit a grand slam the other day. He's got a torn ACL, and he's playing on it anyways. Because he, he – I mean, but the dude's a freak. They hit, he hits the home run. The beer – it was a grand slam in the first game of the regional. And it was one of the coolest beer showers I think I've ever seen. Like, everyone's nuts. The pack the, – the place is packed. I want to say they were – there was like at around nine or 10,000 capacity for a college baseball game. So, the energy, the, the things that are going on there are crazy. Uh, Tennessee – Hit a walk-off grand slam against Wright State in Game One. They were down three. Hit a grand slam to end up winning by one in the bottom of the ninth. And then Wright State gets eliminated the next day. Like it, the the to me one of the coolest things about college baseball is even even college basketball. We always see those Cinderella teams that eventually they just run into the juggernaut and they lose. A few years ago, Coastal Carolina comes in and they just get hot and they win the national championship as a. Group of five teams that just kind of got hot at the right time. And several years ago, I think it was 2008, Fresno State won it. And they didn't win a game the entire postseason that wasn't an elimination game. So, like, they lost the first game of the regional and won the rest of them. They lost the first game of the super regional. They won the next two. They lost the first game of the college world series, came all the way back, got to the championship against Georgia, lost game one, and then won games two and three like stuff like that just doesn't happen in any other collegiate sport uh you know it, I love it it's it's awesome awesome environment uh and I I would love to go to Omaha one year for the college football series
2: see Witt, as much as you like college sports I'm really surprised that you
0: uh don't keep up with college baseball. It's probably just because Georgia's not in it this year. I do keep up with it. But yeah, honestly, I'm a, I'm a fair weather fan for my team. I mean, honestly, it's the same for like keeping up with college basketball too, up until March Madness. And um, honestly, even softball, like I, I like watching, and this is the same with baseball. I like watching the women's college world series. I like watching the college world series. Once it gets to those final eight teams, I get to go to Oklahoma city or Omaha. But during the regionals, there's so many teams in there that I just don't really care about that I just like don't really. I'm just I am really just. I see
2: what you're saying. Watch, yeah.
0: Man. And I wish I cared more because I, I mean, I'm the type of guy that I like to be a fan of every sport. Like I've been trying to watch the hockey playoffs this year and I was super into it when the Predators were in it. And now I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't really care to watch all of every single game, but I'll kind of keep up with games. And then if there's like a good overtime at the end, I'll watch like Irelanders Bruins or something. I'm waiting for for uh, Omaha, and then once it gets to Omaha, I'll I'll be I'll be all in.
2: Yeah, I was big on the uh, the Predators this year in the playoffs too, and then they got out. and My brother's a Maple Leafs fan, so I uh, started watching the Leafs. And then they, he was giving me a bunch of crap for the Preds losing, and then uh, the Leafs lost. So <laughs> now <laughs> didn't we're both Didn't out. the
1: Leafs like collapse? Then they blew a three one lead. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> they they were
2: looking good, and then yeah, they lost it.
1: Man, see that. That, that's crazy. And I don't know. I, I just feel like even with with, you know, what you brought up, like women's the women's college world series, like I love watching watching softball like the SEC softball is a lot of fun to watch um, because I don't know. It's just a it's a different vibe that you get from it than watching professional sports. And it's honestly turned, especially this year for me uh, more than ever, where. I have followed college baseball more than the MLB, which is a rarity in my, in my book. But, um, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with Alabama was good. And I've been following Ole Miss since I'm a student there now. And, and Ole Miss is, is really good too. So, um, you know, Alabama lost this week, their regional, which that their regional was really tough. And the regional they were in was Louisiana Tech, who, in my opinion, had the coolest story of any program in the, uh, playoffs this year for, for college baseball because they two years ago there was a massive storm i think it might have even been one of the hurricanes that came in and there was a tornado that knocked down their stadium and they've been playing at a high school baseball field the past two years this year they were good enough to get a, to host a regional in the first year of their brand new ballpark so uh that was a really cool story they unfortunately were eliminated by nc state even though I pick NC State to win that regional. So, um, you know, humble brag, as we like to call that one. But the Women's College World Series, I don't know if y'all seen this, uh, there's been a lot of talk because every year the Women's College World Series is hosted in Oklahoma City. Obviously, one of the premier programs in college softball is Oklahoma, and uh, there has been a lot of talk about them moving it from being in Oklahoma City to bouncing around the different areas because they feel like it's a home field advantage for Oklahoma every year personally I say get over it when you know it it, it is what it is but one of the arguments that I've heard is because you know they are a really good program at at that top tier like UCLA Alabama Florida State they're able to use that as a recruiting piece too what what do you guys think about that
0: oh yeah I I definitely see the advantages I was just thinking about that too Um going into the final eight, that they because uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both made it. And I was kind of surprised by Oklahoma State, because I feel like they're usually not one of the top teams, but they were actually ranked, um, I think they were top, they were either four or five, they were a top five team uh, going into the Women's College Award Series. They've since been eliminated. Um, I think now it's only down to the final three, and it looks like Florida State's beating Alabama pretty bad in this elimination game right now. Um, so it looks like it's probably going to be Oklahoma-Florida State, but. Having that having that advantage definitely helps. I don't think they should move it. Coming from somebody who knows a lot of softball players and kind of like grew, grew up watching softball just a little bit, it, there's a lot of tradition with the whole Oklahoma City thing, and a lot of people love going to the games and, and love that it's in OKC, so I think it should stay. Um, I see, I mean, honestly, it probably wouldn't bother me that much, but I would say that just it's like I mean it'd be like Nebraska being good or another team close to Omaha being good and them moving it just because that team's good. I, I just don't think that's a that's a reason to move a um move a tradition like the women's college world series from somewhere like Oklahoma uh, City. So oh, and a, I agree. And
2: while we're on softball, um, James Madison had a real run there. I know they lost to Oklahoma there in the semifinals, but they came in unranked and made it all the way to the semifinals. So good for them. I think that was – Matt, you can check me on this. Was that the first time that
1: happened? Uh, I believe it it was the first time in a long time and maybe ever that an unranked team came in and beat the number one overall seed.
2: That's what it was. Um,
1: Because they, they came in unranked and beat Oklahoma in game one and had Oklahoma fighting for their lives the rest of the way. Oklahoma is a really good program though. So, uh, they, they've got a, you know, they've got a a able of of girls that can, they can play. Um, yeah, unfortunately it looks like Alabama is probably going to be done. Um, the crazy thing is, is like, if you ever get an opportunity to go to Rhodes and watch it like an Alabama softball game, it's a blast. Uh, I've been to one. I've been to one game, one baseball game, but at the old stadium, um, and, and it was not nearly as fun as going to the softball game. Softball, the the environment they've created there is insane, and they like sell out every game now. It's it's nuts. Uh, so, really cool to see all these programs and and how they've progressed. And um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll mention uh, a little more about Montana Fouts. Well, in a, in a future segment, because I'm definitely going to pour one out for her, that performance she had the other night. Um, but, you know, the Women's College World Series is a lot of fun. The, I feel like I'm more where Witt is with, with it, with softball, than I am like with baseball, like how he is with college baseball. where I honestly, like, I'll keep up with Alabama softball. I'll be like, oh, yeah, they're doing pretty good this year. Like, they'll be ranked number three, number four. They're three right now um, going into the thing. And then once the Women's College World Series hits, like I actually start watching it to get bit.
0: So guys, we are one day removed from one of the most anticipated YouTuber versus greatest of all time boxer matches ever. Um, I don't know about you guys. I was pretty unimpressed with this whole Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather fight. Good for Logan Paul for taking Floyd the full eight rounds, but I mean, I mean, it was an exhibition. I mean, they said that it wasn't going to count toward Floyd's record. I'm, I'm glad I didn't buy it, to say the least. Yeah,
1: I I didn't watch one second of it. All I've seen is the highlights and then like the stat spread where it clearly shows that Floyd Mayweather works him over. Uh, I imagine he was toying with him for the most part. He landed a couple clean shots uh, where I'm sure he was trying to knock him out, but uh I imagine Logan Paul, uh, being 35 pounds heavier, had something to do with it.
2: Logan Paul was just throwing his arms all over the place. He had 217 punches and only 28 landed. That's 13%. Floyd Mayweather had 107, landed 43, which is 40%. So Floyd Mayweather landing nearly half his punches, and Logan Paul was just out there just flailing around and giving him hugs.
1: That was the only thing that I saw. Is there was this video on Instagram where it was like Logan Paul is absolutely going for it, but it wasn't even good boxing. Like he was just flailing his arms trying to attack him, and Floyd Mayweather just covered his head up and let him hit him in the back of the head and in his back several times without anything happening. And it was like, all right, well, he's literally just going to gas himself out. (laughs) Like you're not doing anything, you're not doing anything impressive for Logan.
2: That's exactly what an inexperienced boxer would go out there and and try to do is just try to swing for the fences and just, you're just trying to get all these punches off and an experienced boxer like Floyd Mayweather is going to know to kind of pick his fights and and, kind of sit there and wait for the right moment to attack. After seeing the stat line, you really realize it was not even really a contest.
1: There was no judges. There was only knockouts that were referee discretion, like. I'm honestly surprised that Floyd didn't let Logan lay one on him and stumble a little bit, and then the referee call it early, and then there'd be a big controversy about that.
2: saw so Floyd Medweather, uh tweeted about being a legal bank robber, <laughs> which is exactly what they were, just millions and millions of dollars for that fight.
1: That, that's the thing that I don't understand. It's like, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of people, and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners that bought the fight. And I think a lot of it is because everyone wants to see one of the Paul brothers get knocked out. But I knew there's no way that Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather is going to knock him out. He's not like Logan Paul is not going to get knocked out. Floyd Mayweather is going to toy with him enough. If he wants to knock him out, he could. He he didn't he didn't want to knock him out. You like you could, you could just tell from the numbers. He only threw 107 punches. Like he could have thrown more than that. I'm sure. He only landed 43. I mean, come on, man. Like he was chilling. Uh,
2: you can see him smiling and he was just kind of out there just kind of having a good time collecting his check man he wasn't out there to lay any hate makers he wasn't out there with a vengeance for this kid you you heard him after the fight he was saying, you know uh basically how he had a good time he was it was fun for him to hang in with the with the young kids and he even said that Logan Paul was was better than he thought so you know you, you can clearly tell there was there's no bad blood there. it was just like it was mostly like a charity match where all the money went to Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul
1: actually respect Logan more than I respect Jake, like Logan after the fight was like, "I actually like these guys, like I respect everything that they do, I don't have a problem with them you know i i I'm happy to just have not gotten knocked out he He seemed a lot more gracious than Jake ever has, and i I can't stand Jake Paul cannot stand it.
2: you see he was wearing his uh iced out first edition Charizard card on his neck.
1: I did see that. That was hilarious. He
2: said. Yeah, I thought that was really he said after this fight, this card's worth a million dollars. I don't. It's oh not actually
0: God. evaluated at a million dollars, but it's it's worth a lot. But that was funny. Yeah, I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy. But I honestly think the whole fight, and I mean y'all have kind of alluded to it. I, I just I don't think it was a real fight. I think they knew what was going to happen from the beginning. I don't think Floyd would have taken the fight if he thought there was any chance that he could lose his undefeated record. I don't think Logan would have taken the fight if he thought there was any chance that Floyd would have knocked him out in round one. So honestly, all it did for them was it helps Logan if he actually wants to start a boxing career because on paper, he went eight rounds with the greatest of all time, some would say. And it helps Floyd and Logan because they both made who knows how many millions of dollars. So it was it was a whole it was a money stunt and I mean, I think everybody knew it from the beginning, and that's part of why I wasn't really interested in buying the fight, because it wasn't like uh, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, where it's an actual guy who fights MMA, wants to, wants to go up against the greatest of all time and try and break his record. It was a YouTuber who was 0-1 in boxing and wanted to go up against a guy who's undefeated. Um, it's like, obviously, that's it's not really a contest. So I was I was kind of surprised of how big it ended up getting. Uh, I Honestly, probably just because of how big Jake Paul's fights have been lately. But
2: and you had Chad Johnson um, in the uh, the opening fight too. Ocho yeah, Cinco. He also lost. Yeah, he lost. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny because we we were kind of talking about that in our group chat about how oh, it was like a fake fight. It was kind of rigged. But for decades now, people have been paying millions of dollars to watch WWE pay-per-views, <laughs> which is literally the same thing like it's all scripted there's the heel there's the face the heel wins sometimes you want you 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 know you have the heel turn like I feel like a lot of people that usually dislike Floyd Mayweather were hoping Floyd Mayweather would win against Logan Paul because it was one of the Paul brothers like they are they just they're going to make a ton of money marketing this stuff because there's way more money involved in boxing than there is in WWE entertainment, Sports entertainment. That's that's what we love. That's 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 American. Very American of us. So want to see fake fights that are scripted out in a winner.
2: Was uh, was it you that said that uh, you wouldn't be surprised if we saw Logan and Jake on WWE in the next couple of years?
0: Uh, I can't remember if I said that or not. But I mean, honestly, knowing knowing the way that WWE is now that these two guys are like. The big name in fighting right now, they'll probably like rightably show up in a pay per view like WrestleMania or something, and like attack somebody randomly, and then have like a little, a little go at doing some kind of like some some stunt with WWE being a part of like some storyline. Um, I would take a bet on that, but
1: one of them was already on WWE. I don't remember when it was. It was pretty recently. I'm pretty sure. I was about to
0: say was it after all this, all the Paul brother fighting and everything started.
1: I I think it was, but I remember I saw it. Probably been a few months because I'm old now and things run together. And I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was like two weeks ago," and it was like a year ago. Um, but there was a I don't I can't remember the wrestler's name, but he ended up giving uh one of the Paul brothers a Stone Cold Stunner, and the whole crowd went nuts. And everyone was like, "Oh God, he just got stunned!" He sold it really. Uh, somebody was saying that he like sold it really well. I think Stone Cold was saying, like, yeah, props to him for selling it as well as he did. Um, I want to say it was a month or two ago, though. It was, like, after this whole fighting stuff started.
0: We'll go ahead and get into our Pour One Out and Cut Them Off segment. Matt, who are you pouring one out for?
1: So, I'm double-tapping, pouring them out again this week. I am pouring one out for Montana Fouts, Alabama softball pitcher, who threw just the fifth perfect game in Women's College World Series history. It was incredible, and it was also the first time – that Alabama softball has ever beaten UCLA. Uh, That was kind of one of the thorns in Alabama softball's side forever. Uh, UCLA, obviously, one of the greatest programs in in college softball. Uh, So finally got over that hump, and it was on her 21st birthday. Um, So really cool storyline there. But the coolest part about it to me, and this is more of like me being a coach, uh, when they did the interview, the first thing that she did was say, I just want to thank my teammates for making the plays behind me. Like she didn't even make it about herself. Like the girl struck out fourteen of the twenty-one outs that they got, uh, but it, she made it all about her teammates, all about them giving her run support, and all about them making the defensive plays behind her. Uh, so she's a great athlete, great person, great competitor. I Hope the best for her. I think she may have one more year uh, coming back to play softball, but at, at Alabama, but. Um, certainly wish the best for her. The other person I'm pouring one out for, and and you'll see why I had trouble uh deciphering who to choose, uh is Tim Elko. Uh he's DHing for the old Miss Rebels right now. He is playing on one ACL. And in the regional tournament, in the championship game today, he hit two home runs. He hit a grand slam in the first game of the of the regional, he hit a grand slam today. He had a two-run home run today to help lift up the Ole Miss Rebels and advance them on to the Super Regional Round of the College Baseball Playoffs. And what he's done just over and over and over again, just it can't be understated. The dude's a superhuman. He's playing on one ACL. Originally, when he first started, he would get a pinch hit at bat here and there. And like he po- he popped up the first time, so he didn't really have to run. But if he hits a single, they're having to pitch run for him Like early in the game. You know, I, I want to say that since he he's torn his ACL, he's hit seven or eight home runs, maybe even nine. Uh, the dude's been on a tear on one ACL. Incredible guts and grit that that dude has shown. What a phenomenal teammate. And, and this week, I am cutting off the Florida baseball Gators. They come in as the number 13 overall seed and a regional host, and they got beat in game one by South Florida in a respectable game. And then they got absolutely blown out by South Alabama. Uh, the last that I saw of that game was nineteen to one. Uh, and and if you're the Florida Gators baseball program in an elimination game against a sun Belt opponent, I, I I think that you have to have a little better of a showing than nineteen to one. I actually thought Florida was going to make it to the College World Series. They had a really good SEC tournament run. They seem to have found pitching at the right time, which pitching is what, what matters in these playoff scenarios, especially for baseball. And, uh, you know, for them to to get trounced like that at home in front of their own fans, it's really embarrassing. Uh, but, you know, moving forward, I'm sure that they'll be back. They were the preseason number one. It's crazy, crazy to see that happen. Uh, but, you know, I got to cut them off. Can't, can't get blown out like that. You don't have to win your regional. But it, it you shouldn't get beat nineteen to one. That's that's painful.
0: Win. No, I totally agree. Um, I'm actually gonna be pouring one out for um, a team that we were talking about earlier, and that is James Madison's softball program. Uh, they beat we were talking about it earlier. They beat the number one ranked Oklahoma Sooners uh, in the first round of the Women's College World Series. It was the first time ever a number one seed fell. And I'm also pouring one out for their pitcher Odici. Alexander, who, to beat the Oklahoma State Cowgirls in the second round, she had a gorgeous diving play at home plate to end the game, and they ended up winning 2-1. to Um, She's been unbelievable, has one of the best rise balls I've ever seen in softball. Um, And I'm also going to pour one out for my boy Trey Young in the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young has been going ballistic in the playoffs. He's averaging over 28 points a game, and he's averaging 10 assists a game as well. Um, he's been an absolute superstar, even better than I could have imagined for him in his first year, um, his first playoff run. And here's the hope in that they beat Philly and get a chance at the Nets or the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals.
2: I don't think um, it's going to be the Bucks. If you've seen just now, they're, the down a, they're down about they 35
0: right now. They're down one-zero to the Nets, and they are getting clobbered right now. And I, the, Nets, the Nets are honestly too good. So um, I'm honestly just hoping the Hawks can get there to play them. Uh, But I'm actually going to be cutting off the NBA once again, even though we've done it quite a few times, and it's for something they did not even a full hour ago, and that is naming Tom Thibodeau, the head coach of the New York Knicks, as the coach of the year instead of Monty Williams or Nate McMillan. Monty Williams is the head coach for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Honestly, I thought that it was going to end up being him. But in my opinion, I think Nate McMillan should have won it, considering how terrible the Hawks have been lately they made some big moves this offseason but they started the year so terrible with coach Pierce and then once they got rid of Pierce the whole I mean the whole season changed I mean his record since being at the Hawks is just unbelievable so um, but it's been been the same with Monty Williams I mean they were the number one or two seed going into the Western Conference playoffs and they've been unbelievable I mean Devin Booker's been fantastic picking up Chris Paul's been huge DeAndre Ayton's had a better year for the Suns Easily, honestly, I it probably should have been Monty Williams. I could not, have, I could not believe that Tom Thibodeau was the pick. Um, a little bit salty about this, but it is what it is. Keys, who you pouring one out for?
2: All right, so I'm pouring one out for Witt's favorite head coach in college football, Nick Saban. Correct. <laughs> uh, he just got a contract extension through the year 2029. That's a lot of years for the uh, Georgia Bulldogs to get beat by Nick Saban. So. He is going to be making $8.4 million base salary in 2021, which is a lot of dollars. And after 2025, he's also eligible for an $800,000 bonus. So the man's loaded, his football team is loaded, and he's going to keep steamrolling until he dies. Uh, And I'm also going to cut off the Falcons for, I'll keep it short and sweet here, and we talked about this earlier, The, uh, the Julio Jones trade, in my opinion. While they did offload a lot of the dollars we were going to have to pay Julio Jones, we really didn't get much for him. And we also gave up a six-round pick. We got a, uh, we got a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick and lost a pick and lost Julio Jones. So I just don't think it was a very football trade. Uh, it was a monetary trade. So cutting off the Falcons, I want my team back. I want, I want some players on that team too. So
0: they're cut off.
1: Just imagine, it's the year 2039 and Saban has won officially 18 championships at the University of Alabama.
0: Yep, and I will put exactly 18 bullets in my (laughs) head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, that's our show. Thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at AroundTheKeg and on Twitter at AroundTheKegPod. So there's any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can.
2: Be sure to check out our brand new merch store at AroundTheKeg.com. You can let your friends know you're into day drinking with one of our new Around the Keg t-shirts, hoodies, or pint glasses. Our featured artist of the week is Blake Hall. If you're in the Nashville area this weekend, be sure to check out his show on Saturday at Casa Rosa and on Sunday on the rooftop at Jason Aldean's. Here's his song, This Fire, to play us out. Have a great week.
3: trying to-